Welcome to the Indoor AirPod, a show dedicated to our shared surroundings with industry heavyweights that are dedicated to designing, developing, manufacturing, and disrupting the status quo in order to make all our spaces cleaner and safer for everyone. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Indoor AirPod. I'm Gary Moody, the host. My guest today is Simon Jones, and he's in Ireland and also sitting in as J.B. Anderson, the indoor AirPod producer. Simon, it's great to have you. Really appreciate uh, your time and your interest. Great to see you, Gary, and, and thanks a million for having me on. Really appreciate that. Yeah, as we both know, there's a lot to always discuss regarding indoor air quality, Simon. But before we get started with you know what your service is all about, and and talking about a, a wide range of topics if you would please share some of your career path to date oh crikey i mean i'm a i'm aware of many hats i started my career out in the medical profession uh, on the front line in emergency services i i then believe it or not moved into plumbing and heating so i was a a contractor a trade on the ground uh, bashing on sites and, and doing the, the hard work uh, for many years um, and then slowly moved into business over the last three decades, um, principally in renewables to start with. So I would, would have been one of the early operators within the heat pump space back, uh, must be nearly 20 years ago now. Um, th they've come a long way in 20 years i can tell you um uh, and then principally in the last 15 20 years my focus has been predominantly on ventilation and air quality i, I worked for a european manufacturer of ventilation components uh, that was something called demand controlled ventilation so ventilation that adapted to air quality parameters in in buildings um and kind of sat in the middle ground really for many years um, with a number of hats that I wore between working for industry, um, sitting on organizations that um, looked at regulation and legislation and, and academic work. Um, so so really for, for 10 years now, I've been a kind of a an expert generalist, I would say, on ventilation and air quality sitting in this kind of unique middle ground between academia, industry and policy, um, which has given me quite a unique perspective of, of how these things go together. Um, the last couple of years, I've really been zeroing in on data from the built environment. So looking at environmental sensors, understanding how that digital space works and, and what we can learn from that space. Um, and then this year, um, I decided to jump camp and I set up a consultancy, a niche I'd been wanting to scratch for quite a while. I was always being asked, would I get involved in this and get involved in that? And this was a really great opportunity to bring all of the experience I've learned over the years to bear to help others, uh, to yeah, be, that, be that glue in the middle, if you like, that pulls all these different strands of ventilation and air quality together because it's a fascinating space it's this weird and complex world of air chemistry and building physics and engineering and social science and industry 
uh, and regulation. Um, and it's a space, as you know, is moving so quickly at the moment. It's very hard for people to get a steer on where to go sometimes. And, and that's principally the hope of this consultancy to be that support and mechanism for people to make the right decisions in this, quite frankly, very complex and fast moving space at the moment. Is your work, is it primarily uh, commercial or is it commercial and residential? Yeah, it's a, it's a mix of both. Um, the consultancy itself operates in three principal areas, if you like. One of them is strategy and advice for organizations in general uh, to help them make the right ventilation and air quality decisions, whether that's managing damp and mold in housing and setting up strategies for retrofit programs and renovation programs within the built environment, or whether that's working with workplaces trying to navigate codes of practice for indoor air quality in the workplace or it's a it's a mixture of both uh, and then the other kind of sphere of my work predominantly is communication uh, i've been talking about this subject matter for so long now um that i'm that i'm able to help people communicate this better um sorry just hold there gary i just realized my phone's gonna bleep i didn't silence it apologies There. Do you want to do a do-over on that one just a little bit? Because I was midstream and the phone started beeping away at me. <laughs> yeah, now you're asking me about. Yeah, sorry. Go, about... go ahead and uh, hold hold on one second. Let me just mark that off. Yeah. All right, you guys are good. Sorry, it's a bit amateur hour of me that one. Um, you were asking me about um, about what does the do I work in residential or commercial? Wasn't it? Okay, yes. let me go back there. So, yeah, it's a mixture of both, really. Um, the consultancy offers services in three principal areas. One of them is advice, strategy, and, and technical to organizations to make the right decisions in this complicated world of ventilation and air quality. The other principal vertical of the business is communication support for organizations we, we struggle to communicate on ventilation and air quality in this industry um and and i've been doing it for a long time particularly at the commercial end so i know how to translate this stuff effectively uh, and then thirdly it's been a bit of a surprise to me really with the consultancy is just general management consultancy I, i've been in business for a while and, and have a reputation i guess that people, particularly small businesses, I can help with general management consultancy, whether that's helping them build commercial pipelines or marketing strategies, whatever it is. Um, but really with a focus on the built environment, that's where my passion and expertise is. Is, is your work primarily in, just in Ireland or is it across to Europe? Um, yeah, it's broader than that. In fact, I, I work with clients in North America, some larger enterprise organizations as a domain expert, shall we say. Um, but operationally, my work is generally focused on the UK, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, that kind of a region, and then out a little bit into Europe, because um, okay. that's where I'm located as much as anything else. You, you bet. What, what type of uh, unique IAQ problems are you? do you experience? in in your market in ireland and the uk and 
it's pretty much the same, no doubt, worldwide. But what, what's on your radar? Yeah, I mean, indoor air quality is, um, is influenced by location, certainly. Um, so if we just take the European continent as an example, uh, parts of the Europe that are on the Atlantic weather streams would have a different experience to outdoor air quality, for example, and general environmental conditions than countries in Central and Eastern Europe. Um, so there are certainly parts of Europe that would experience quite heavy industrial air pollution. Um, this part of the world would struggle with uh, very wet, damp, windy conditions, very inclement winters, not very cold, but damp and cold for very long periods of time, which presents certain challenges. And as you move up into Scandinavia, obviously you start to get the Canadian type winters where you get very cold, dry periods of time. So it depends where you are. Like my most yeah. parts of the my most parts of the world is quite regionalized. In the sectors that I'm working in regularly at the moment, um, housing has a real focus on condensation, damp and mould at the moment, um, particularly within the public and social housing spaces, um, as much as anything because they have governing structures that have a responsibility to look after that housing. It doesn't mean necessarily they're any worse than other sectors. In fact, the evidence would suggest private rented sector and private homes would probably suffer more than social housing. It's just we hear about social housing more because we can point the finger at organisations to sort the problem out. You um, we, we, uh, yeah, we, you, you may know this, but the United States had a very severe wildfire smoke problem this past summer. It actually was unprecedented, Simon. Uh, wildfire smoke, generally speaking, has been basically in the western part of the United States, but Canadian wildfires, the smoke uh, migrated down from Canada on into the upper Midwest to the northeastern part of the United States. Is the wildfire smoke uh, a problem either, uh, you know, currently, or, or do you think it's going to be a major problem in the future? Well, I mean, these these big pollution events uh, know no borders, do they? They're, they're not very... Um... They're not very sympathetic to country borders, um, these, these big pollution events. Um, in Europe, yes, we've been having, particularly in the Mediterranean, some significant issues with wildfires. Um, interestingly, we do have pollution problems in this part of the world with fires, but it's not wildfires. It's uncontrolled burning of moors and peatlands. Um for agricultural controls, which is a can be a problem that can present some issues. Um, we, we occasionally get some Saharan dust events coming up from southern Europe up to this part of the world, which can present some issues. Um, most of the heavy outdoor air quality events tend to be weather related around here, where you get a, a stable high pressure that's holding pollution down for a period of time and building it up. Um, but as I said, Ireland and the UK is on the Atlantic weather stream, so we get a lot of clearance of those weather effects often, um, so we don't experience them quite as bad as you might do in some parts of Central Europe, say, or some parts of America. Uh, okay. We look into a big expanse of water 
uh, for most of our weather patterns. Uh, so that does help us significantly, I would say. You bet. Speaking of smoke, you have a lot of pubs in Ireland and Europe. And uh, if you're not aware, and it's hard to believe in 2023 in the United States, smoking is still allowed in certain types of establishments, such as casinos uh, and bars. Uh, is smoking allowed in, in your pubs in, in Ireland and uh, in Europe, or is it, is it totally banned? Yeah, it's completely gone um, and has been for many, many years. Uh, I, Actually, ironically, it's quite a funny story. When when I was part of the uh, expert teams as part of the pandemic in this part of the world, looking at standards and regulations and what we could do about ventilation in COVID times. And one of the things that was noted in discussions was that actually pubs were one of the few uh, pieces of infrastructure that still had decent ventilation as a hangover from the smoking days most most pubs whether they are rural or urban have fairly significant HVAC systems dating back unfortunately 10 or 15 years these days and no longer work but ironically they were probably best placed to deal with the high levels of ventilation you might want during COVID because they were had to deal with smoke pollution back in the day but now no absolutely gone and even uh, I was speaking to a colleague in Belgium there recently there's even consideration about how you manage smoking in the home and whether or not, interestingly, there's a responsibility to child welfare that can be brought to bear uh, to try and limit people smoking in their own homes. So that would be a hell of a threshold to be crossing when it comes to managing air pollution. But certainly all of the standards now and regulations effectively don't include smoking as part of their governance processes because the assumption is that smoking is something that shouldn't be there anyway. So you shouldn't have to control for it as part of the regulations and standards for general air quality. That, that, that's kind of the mindset now, really. How common are indoor air quality assessments uh, in your market? And first of all, is that something, is that a service you actually provide? I can do, but uh, it probably answers your first question in that they're not very common at the moment. Um, we've seen a new regulation or code of practice come into place here in Ireland uh, that's called the Code of Practice for Indoor Air Quality in the Workplace. And it's quite a reasonable document, actually, that says all employers have a responsibility for the environment of employees, no matter where their place of work is. And part of that is indoor air quality and, and ventilation. So this there's never really been any guidance. Like a lot of regulations, there's these paragraphs that say you should provide adequate ventilation, but they don't really provide any structure on how to demonstrate that you're achieving that. So this code of practice is a document that helps employers structure and demonstrate that they are providing adequate ventilation. And it's very reasonable, actually. It just says that if you've got a mechanical ventilation system, you should provide a report once every couple of years that demonstrates that it's meeting the equivalent of ASHRAE standards for ventilation in the workplace, for example. Okay. Um, or if you've got naturally ventilated buildings, that you might provide indoor air quality monitors to help people in the spaces 
manage their air quality better because they can see CO2, for example. The reality is, though, most of the built environment, the vast majority of the built environment internationally, is that ventilation has never really been checked, ever. And in fact, you'll be lucky if it was ever commissioned, to be quite frank. And if it was, certainly you won't find the documents now, 10 or 15 years later. So there is a, a real challenge now, while we have these structures that say you should provide adequate air quality, and there's much more recognition broadly out there post-COVID and with standards like Well and Resat and Reset and Briam and, and so on, they're all bringing to bear a focus on air quality. So it's coming for everybody. But the but the stark reality is, is these buildings have never really been checked. They're very unlikely to perform as you'd like them to. And even if you did want to measure them regularly, they may never have been set up to do that. So it's going to be quite a challenge to get to a position where you understand the performance of the spaces. And many jurisdictions are going... It's probably not worth it. You might as well just monitor all the spaces and manage that by indoor air quality monitors. Which which leads me to the next subject, and I appreciate you mentioning it. Uh, will indoor air quality monitoring be common in buildings in Europe in five years? It's been my firm belief, Gary, for at least half a decade now that probably by 2030, there's very few spaces we'll occupy that won't be monitoring our indoor environment in one way or the other. And that may not even be overt indoor air quality sensors on a wall, that sensor costs are coming down so significantly that we're finding them cropping up in all sorts of products that you wouldn't think of. They're in the thermostats on your wall that are controlling your heating. They're in your uh, electronic equipment on your desk. They're they're in your boardrooms, in the cameras that are recording your meetings. That um, they're finding their way in everywhere. Um, and as that data starts to be pulled together, and we understand the performance of the spaces that we occupy, it changes the dynamic of everything a little bit. They're imper they're imperfect, and they don't tell us everything that we want to know. But they start to frame the environment in a way that's it's not been framed before and we're all going to be judged by the ongoing performance of the spaces we occupy very quickly i think yeah and i, I think in a, in a future the public which of course is primarily lay persons i think they're just going to want to have an idea what's in the air that they're exposed to whether it's in their home or building and as we both know iq monitoring it's not a simple topic uh various metrics uh, what is your thought regarding the carbon dioxide metric? There's a lot of differences of opinion about, you know, what CO2 actually, uh, it, what, what does it mean indoors and, and what are the levels that are safe or somewhat safe, et cetera, et cetera. What, what's your position on CO2? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's a bit like building modeling. Uh, it's never accurate, accurate, but sometimes useful. Um, the question probably isn't so much what value does CO2 monitoring have. The question we probably should be asking ourselves is how do we ask, answer the inevitable questions that come from the CO2 values that are created? 
So regardless of whether it was the right metric to be recording, if someone is pointing at that and saying, I think that's good or bad, you better be sure that you know how to answer that question. So like a lot of these proxy pollutants, as we call them, pollutants that aren't necessarily a pollutant in their own right, they keep bad company or they show a pattern of performance of a space that's of interest to us and frames the environment in a way that we then have to answer those questions. So seeing CO2 at two and a half, three thousand parts per million in a classroom or a boardroom is probably fairly clear evidence that that room is underventilated. But it doesn't give you any clue as to what you're exposed to. You would have to look at that much more closely in order to determine that. But ultimately, does it matter? What action does that create? Well, the answer is I have to improve the ventilation in some way. And once I can quantify that, I can start to deploy solutions. The When CO2 is very low, again, at the other end of the scale, it's probably fairly indicative of good ventilation. Um, but we can't be sure. There can be off-gassing from other pollutants. There can be viral loads and, and bioeffluent pollutants that we might need to be concerned with, even if the CO2 level is low. Um, but generally, the answers are pretty straightforward down at that end. Like all things indoor air quality or all things built environment, it's the grey, mushy area in the middle that's hard to manage. And that's where you really do have to have your ducks in a row and be able to answer those questions. Because I get more questions about is 1,500 parts per million good or bad than I get about almost anything else. And of course, that becomes much harder to answer. And there, it's, there's a lot of what-ifs. You, you bet. And the public wants specific answers. And there, there are courses we both know. There, there's, no, there's no exactness to any of this. But I, I like indoor quality monitoring because it, it creates awareness for the very yeah. first time. Yeah, and I, I was only talking about this the other day. We can get very hung up on the complexity of air quality and air chemistry. It's an enormously complex subject matter. There are literally thousands of volatile organic compounds, for example, we could get concerned about if we want to. But the reality is for most of our built environment, the levers that we have at our disposal that we can pull to create a different outcome are often quite small and limited. Yes, in a an advanced Deloitte's headquarters building in New York. It probably has an incredibly sophisticated BMS system, all sorts of amazing ways of controlling the environment in that space. But the reality is that's not our, for the vast majority of us, that's not our working environment or our living environment. So we start to go into a, an area where the levers that we can pull are very limited indeed. And often that's down to adequate exhaust ventilation, providing decent background ventilation, managing source control, and a little bit of a little bit of awareness and training of people that are occupying those spaces. And beyond that, there's not a lot we can do. So sometimes we come at it from the wrong end. If you come at it from academia and, and air chemistry, it's incredibly complicated. But if you come at it from a, a building user perspective, actually 
we need to translate that complexity into very manageable slices that people can get a better outcome with. And that's why I love risk, because risk frames things in a way where there are no absolutes. Everybody's tolerance of risk is different. We have to start talking about it very differently. And we've been managing risk for decades and decades under things like the hierarchies of control. And it, and approaching our built environment from that perspective really changes things for people. Because if, if there's a risk from air quality, the first thing you ask is, can I get rid of that out of my built environment, eliminate that risk? Can I substitute it with something that's less risky? Do, do, so, you think, do you think outdoor air quality monitoring at the local level will work in tandem with IAQ monitoring in the future? Do you think that's going to become common also? Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, one of the things everybody's slowly starting to get their head around is the vast majority of our exposure to outdoor air will occur indoors. Yeah. And the vast majority of that in our own home so just because we're in a structure does not mean we're not exposed to the quality of the air that's happening in and around our building um so the, the it's one air ultimately that's how we have to start viewing it and it may well be you see your building as an indoor air cleaner it may well be you see an indoor air quality sorry an indoor air cleaner in your building as an air cleaner but regardless if you've got polluted air around you, you need to clean it. Um, air quality is the single biggest environmental risk we face as a human species. Uh, its its cost is almost incalculable uh, across any number of metrics, from lost days to work to absenteeism to performance to health to um, development of children to early death and disability. Um, it's phenomenal. Um, and that's the bit that I think people are, will slowly start to pull together is that the maps are all the same effectively. If you're in, a, in, you're in a polluted area, you need to understand your building is in a polluted area. Which of these three types of buildings do you think has the worst indoor air quality in general schools, hotels or nursing homes, elder care? <laughs> well, there's a hell of a mix to think of. I mean, any of us that have travelled, been into classrooms or visited anybody in elderly care uh, can probably think of all sorts of horrible scenarios that we've come across in all of them. The reality is, is if the built environment is built for purpose and designed in a way to manage the use of that space, all three of those can witness exceptional outcomes and exceptional indoor air quality. But the reverse is also true, particularly in elderly care. Many of the spaces that are used were not originally intended to be elderly care homes. Um, we've improved classrooms significantly over the years with windows and, and improvements on insulation, but never really tackled ventilation and, and have seen a deterioration in those buildings yet schools at the turn of the century that were designed to deal with tuberculosis for example uh, were designed for ventilation high ceilings good cross ventilation outside areas for learning 
Uh, we did that very well, as we did with our healthcare facilities at that time. Um, so, th so the answer to that question is that all equally capable of excellent outcomes if designed and used correctly, but they're also all equally and vulnerable, equally vulnerable to poor air quality outcomes. And we see the full spectrum in all of them. Um, that I would say, if I had to pick one, my concern, my most concern is for schools because it's one of the sectors where we impact the young generation at the start of their life and embed uh, poor health outcomes uh, more then than we will do for the rest of their life. And it's a sector that's probably the most under-resourced of all the, the government-funded sectors out there, I would say. So, so their potential to invest and renew those buildings is more limited than perhaps any other sector. Um, how about how about hotels? Uh, what is Legionnaires a problem in Europe? Legionnaires' disease regarding hotels. Legionnaires' disease is a problem everywhere, but we don't hear or see about it too much. I would say. Um, it's a very specific outcome, Legionnaires, and a very specific cause. So I think it's easier to understand than generalised poor air quality. Um, so I think we have a better chance of eradicating it or staying in control of it than we would generalised air quality. Um, I, I think the advantage of hotels is generally your exposure is limited to you and whoever else is sharing the room with you um, whereas a lot of the other spaces you're exposing a lot of other people to that pollution um, but hey we've all been in some absolutely dreadful hotels haven't we over the years I, I was in London there this summer and I, I was given one of those internal bedrooms with no windows at all um, and the ventilation wasn't working and hadn't worked for weeks. So basically, it was a sealed box with the previous 16 occupants air quality in it that I went into. So needless to say, I, I didn't last very long. Um, and they were quite perplexed that I was asking for a room with a window that could open onto polluted London streets. Um, but if it, it was that or breathing in that air in that box, it, I would have taken the pollution, to be frank. It was pretty horrific covered up with lots of deodorant and and conditioner on the, the 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 bed linen and all of that i mean you know it was horrible oh the the air freshener is a business is a huge industry as you know simon and uh when you go when any of us go into hotels uh, oftentimes you know there's the air freshener there to to give us the idea that the the air is fresh and clean in the us uh there are hotels that offer a limited number of rooms where people can actually smoke in. Uh, it's hard to believe that uh, that's allowed, but, you know, that's the state of the thing. And, and that doesn't happen in Europe or Ireland, does it? No, and, and occasionally you get offered an old smoking room in hotels yeah. in this part of the world, and you can still smell it years and years afterwards. It has a certain aroma that it's kind of a sweet, sickly smell. You Everybody knows it from tobacco that just seems to 
ingrain in the furniture and the the carpets and the walls it's just excessive a, a horrible and you and you know instinctively it doesn't smell particularly bad all those years later but it's that sweet sickly smell that just never quite goes away yeah, um, but i think i think it's referred to as third hand smoke that's left yeah. behind from from second hand obviously it's a you know it's a terrible subject and i, I wish it was different You've got a new podcast that you've launched. It's called Air Quality Matters. Uh, share some information, if you would, your mission with that, the types of guests that you hope to have on in the future, and how's it going? Yeah, it, it's been, a again, one of these itches I've been thinking of scratching for nearly a year. Um, it's, it's the namesake of the consultancy, Air Quality Matters, and... I I just thought over the over the many years I've been having conversations as part of my work as I say I sit in this weird middle ground between academia and legislation and, and industry and I get to have these amazing long conversations that fall into some incredible rabbit holes with people at the heart of ventilation and air quality across the sector, people like yourself and, and people like Max Sherman and Yel Laverge and Pavel Warchocki and incredible pe people. Um, and you get to have conversations that you don't see in an editorial in a magazine or, or you don't get to listen to when you're hearing somebody speak for 40 minutes at a, at a, a trade show. Um, and I just thought, wouldn't it be great to kind of get that down on recording and, and expose other people to the, those amazing conversations I have with people? So that's principally been the idea of the podcast. The mission, if you like, is to break open those conversations that I'm fortunate enough to have because of where I sit and not only break them out from academia to industry and policy, but to break the ones from policy out to academia and industry and round and round uh, and to a wider audience. Uh, and so far, that's what we've been doing. We've had some really, really interesting guests. They're quite long, but they've been designed to allow world-class experts to take the time to explain some thought trains that they have on certain subject matters and really fall into those rabbit holes that they don't normally get afforded the opportunity to uh, with me just principally as a guide for that conversation. So that's been it. And it's been great. I'm about six, seven recordings in at this stage. And um, yeah, it's been really fun. Glad to hear it. How, how can people find your, your new podcast, Simon? It's on all of the platforms. Uh, similar to yourself, Gary, Spotify and Google and Apple and all of that. So if you just look for Air Quality Matters, there's nothing else like it on there at the moment so it should pop up pretty easily and i'm uh, maybe you do me a favor and pop the link in the show notes or something and people can find it that way it'd be great what else uh, re regarding your social media tags uh, obviously you're on linkedin simon are there other uh, social media outlets that you're on are you on twitter or instagram or where, where can people find you I'm principally a LinkedIn baby, Gary. I um, I dabbled with the cesspit that is X was Twitter, but I I 
I, I, I find it too distracting and too awful to spend too long on. Um, it's fine if you want to look into Israeli co- conflicts or uh, or conservative and labor divides in politics or something like that. You know, great, fill your boots. Uh, but for decent conversation around the built environment in in good humored format, LinkedIn for me is the only media platform for that. Uh, and I'm not pretty enough for Instagram. So uh, LinkedIn it is. <laughs> well, Simon, it's fantastic to uh, have you on today. And uh, sure would like to have you on at a later date. And uh, I appreciate your time today. I, I think we're running short on time. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem at all. I hope it's been useful to your listeners. And uh, keep doing the podcast, Gary. They're brilliant. I'll be, um, it's on my playlist every week. Thank you. And and yours is on mine also. Thank you, Simon. Thank you for listening to the Indoor AirPod, produced by Gaslight STL, your podcast partner. Be sure to give our show a follow to keep up with upcoming guests and topics. And please reach out with any questions or guest suggestions.